Joseph back though, isn't it? Great to have him back. Y'all stay open to the book of Jonah. That's where we're going to be this morning. And um, I was thinking as I was preparing this sermon, it was back in 2012 was my first year really in ministry. I was serving at a contemporary service and I was in ministry there and in 2012, there, something happened here in our country that would become, unfortunately, all too common after that. Uh, a gunman walked into a movie theater and opened fire on an unsuspecting audience. And he ended up killing uh, 12 people. He injured 70 other people. And so when we had our service that Sunday, I remember specifically that we wrote down the names of each and every victim And we took time at the end of the service, I read the names of each victim, and I prayed for their families. And then, I ended that time by also reading off the name of the shooter and praying for him. Well, that was apparently a big no-no, okay? I, uh, I got a lot of backlash, and I had a lot of people come up to me afterward and tell me how upset they were with me. Because they said, I shouldn't have taken time to pray for the shooter. That he did not deserve our prayers, he did not deserve our sympathy, he deserved the death penalty, so how dare I take time to pray for him? Now, this was 2012, I was still fairly young, okay, at the time, and I was, my first year in ministry, I was young and naive. You have to understand, I was still under the impression, because I only had been a Christian for about a year, I was still under the impression that church people always got along. Okay, that's how naive I was. I thought everybody in church got along all the time. I thought if you worked at a church, everybody agreed on everything. We we all love Jesus. How could you ever disagree with people? And boy, like I said, I was naive. Okay, so I found out that was not the case. And I still remember how shocked I was that professing Christians got upset with me that I prayed that the Lord would have mercy upon and forgive and save a sinner. I was shocked, and I learned a hard truth that first year in ministry that many professing Christians do not actually want God to have mercy upon, do not want God to love or save people that they don't like. And that's kind of the story of Jonah, is it not? I mean, you look at Jonah, and we we know this story all too well. You know the story. It ends up with him uh, being swallowed by a fish. The fish throws him up on the shores of Nineveh. Jonah goes into Nineveh very reluctantly, okay? He wants to preach a bare-bones message. He wants to get in and get out. This is exactly the message he preached to Nineveh. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, just pause there for a second. That's all he said, okay? He's not as long-winded as I am. Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But I want you to notice something here. Uh, Jonah did not tell them to repent, did he? He did not tell them who was going to overthrow Nineveh. He did not even tell them why Nineveh was going to be overthrown. It's almost, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical, but it's almost like Jonah didn't actually want them to repent and receive the Lord's mercy. And yet, amazingly, in God's grace... They did. The people of Nineveh repent and the Lord has mercy upon them. He forgives them and Jonah is livid. He is as angry as he can be. Angry enough to die because God has shown favor and mercy to people that he hates. Now, I'm not going to ask for any show of hands today because this is going to hit a little too close to home for most of us, all right? But wouldn't you say that oftentimes we have that same attitude as Jonah? I mean, we know as Christians that we're supposed to love everybody, right? That's what we're called to do. We don't really like everybody, do we? 
there are some people who get under our skins. There are some people who rub us the wrong way. People who make us uncomfortable. There are just, I mean, I know you don't want to admit it. There are some people you don't like. It could be people of a different political party. Again, don't show hands. Could be people of a different theological camp. It could be uh, people at your work. It could be politicians, people in the media. Don't look around. It could be people in your own family. Okay? Again, don't look around. But it could be all sorts of people. That, that people that just we don't like, that we resent, that we don't have any compassion on. And listen, here's what happens. If you allow that disdain for them to continue to grow and you don't do anything about it and you don't address it, you are going to get to the point where you're no longer going to have compassion on anyone that you don't like. It's just a special few select people that you're going to love and have mercy upon. And that raises an interesting question. What is it that keeps us from having compassion on others? Because we know this is true of all of us, right? We have people we like, we love, we have mercy upon them, compassion, we're understanding of them. But there are plenty of other people that don't fall into that category. So what is it exactly that keeps us from having compassion on others? And you see a lot of these explanations, these reasons in Jonah. I want you to look at the first two verses of Jonah. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Now we're going to pause there for a second because I want you to understand something. If you're looking at your Bibles, and I hope that you are, our English translations do us a bit of a disservice here, okay? They should have translated this very literally. They chose to dial it back some. I want to tell you what this actually says word for word in the Hebrew. It says, and it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and he burned with anger. So so notice that. It's not just that God having mercy upon the Ninevites displeased Jonah. No, no, no. That's too light. In the eyes of Jonah, when God had mercy upon the Ninevites and forgave them of their sins, to Jonah it was an evil, a great evil. I want you to pause for a second. Here's what I want you to do. Think about something that happens in our world today that you would consider a great evil. I mean, there could be a ton of examples, but just think in your mind what you consider to be a great evil, something that the Lord hates. Now, I want you to understand whatever you're thinking about right now and the thing that you're hating right now, that is exactly how Jonah felt about God forgiving sinners. Which raises the question, how far... From God's heart does yours have to be to consider an act of mercy an act of great evil? How how far from God's heart must yours be to consider it evil when God has mercy upon and forgives sinners who repent? And I want to ask another question. What is underlying this deep resentment of God's mercy and grace towards others? What is it that's fueling it in Jonah? Well, we had a clue there. Did you find the clue? It's there in in verse number 2. Notice what he says. Jonah says, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Now, here's the the question. Why mention my country at all? I mean, God is all-knowing, is he not? God knows where Jonah's from. 
God knows where Jonah comes from. God knows where Jonah was at the time. So why reference my country at all? It's because Jonah is trying to make a very clear distinction between the Israelites and the Ninevites. Jonah is reminding God, as if God needed to be reminded, that Jonah is an Israelite, and they are not. Jonah is one of God's chosen people, and those guys are not. Jonah's one of the good guys, and they are not. Jonah wants to make this distinction very clear And was this not the same attitude of that first church I was at when I prayed for that shooter? Hey, you can't do that. Why would you pray for them? He's a bad guy. Pray for the victims. Pray for their families. Pray for us. But don't pray for them. Don't pray for that shooter. He is a bad guy. He does not what, church? He does not deserve your prayers. He does not deserve God's mercy. He does not deserve God's love. He does not deserve God's forgiveness or salvation. He doesn't deserve it, but who does? We do. Because we're the good guys. This attitude, this mentality, if we have this, it will make us like Jonah, and it will keep us from having compassion on other people. You have to understand, it's never been us versus them. It's always been us versus him. When we adopt an us versus them mentality, we forget that we're all sinners in need of mercy and grace. When we adopt an us versus them mentality, we forget that we are all just sinners in need of mercy and grace. In other words, if it makes sense to you that God would love you and forgive you, And have mercy upon you and save you. But it does not make sense to you that that same God would show those same things towards people that you don't like. Well then, brother, you have forgotten the very essence of the gospel. Because the gospel does not say that God saves good people. And praise the Lord for that. The gospel reminds us that all of us, every single person, you're not excluded. We were all enemies of God in glad rebellion against God, dead in our sins, and in that moment, God sent His only Son to die for our sins. Who deserved it? No one. Not a single one of us. You know what that reminds us of? It reminds us that we are all on equal footing before God, doesn't it? That the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That no one is better off than anyone else in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, we're all just a bunch of sinners in need of the mercy and grace of God in Christ. I want you to hear this. In the eyes of God, those people that you don't like, the ones who make you uncomfortable, the ones who anger you and get under your skin, they are just as savable as you are. We need to remember this when we begin to struggle with the distinctions that we love so much. And we love some good distinctions, don't we, church? You can't say amen to that. It hits too close to home. There's going to be plenty of those today, okay? I promise you. But we love our distinctions, don't we? We love to say who God would love and approve of and who he would not love and approve of. I want to just tell you a few things this morning. God loves people with tattoos. Praise the Lord for that. I'm personally very thankful for that. God loves people with tattoos. I'll tell you something else. God loves people with a prison record. 
God loves people who don't have a perfectly clean past and haven't lived their entire lives never making a mistake like some church people like to think that they are. God loves people who have a messy past, who aren't perfect. God loves people of of all walks of life, regardless of what kind of neighborhood they live in, regardless of what kind of car they drive. God loves the people that we love to look our noses down upon. I'll remind you something else this morning. It is totally okay with you to disagree with the politics of the opposing party, but let's not forget to separate politics from the people. Okay? And you might say, but pastor... It's hard because those people, again, those people, those people, they support all sorts of things that are ungodly and unbiblical. Well, of course they do. Heathens are going to heave. Sinners are going to sin. Why on earth would we expect people who are dead in their sins to live as though they are born-again Christians? Should we be surprised that sinners sin? No. doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean we approve of it, but it certainly should not surprise us. Praise the good Lord above that God did not look down on us and go, well, look at them. They love and support things that I totally hate and they'll go right against my word. And he could have just done that. He could have left us in our sins. He could have condemned us all to hell. But God saw that the reason we were doing those things is because we were infected with the disease of sin. And so God, rather than condemning us, had mercy upon us and sent his son to die in our place. Now, if we are called to imitate God, don't you think we should remind ourselves that the reason people do things that we hate and go against God's word is because they too are infected with the disease of sin? If we're truly called to imitate God, don't you think that we should imitate him by doing what he did for us and going and telling them how they can be free of that sin? That there is salvation in Christ Jesus? There is hope of renewal and new life? The next time you're tempted to look your nose down on someone and feel hatred towards someone, I want you to remember that God loves people that you do not like. And remind yourself that we are all just a bunch of sinners in desperate need of the mercy and grace of God. If not for the grace of God, we would be where they are. And so we have to get rid of this old us versus them mentality. But there's something else here I want you to see. Something that will keep us from having compassion on others. Look at verses 2 through 4. Jonah picks up and he says, This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, this is an important phrase that Jonah is saying about God here because it is echoing a very important passage in Scripture. It comes from a very important time in Israel's history. You'll remember that after God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he led them through the wilderness and he led them to the mountain. And when they got to the mountain, he told Moses to come up on the mountain to receive the law. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and all the Israelites who remain below remain perfectly faithful to the Lord 100%. Right? No. No sooner did Moses go up on that mountain, they said, all right, who's got gold? Time to melt it down and make ourselves a god. And that's what they did. And so they made themselves the golden calf. And Aaron, their priest, literally turned to them and goes, here is your God, O Israel, who led you out of Egypt. 
And so they turned their backs on God. And they were committing idolatry. And they were living in sin and doing things that God hated. And of course it angered the Lord, angered Moses too. I mean, he literally broke the two stone tablets in a fit of rage. He went back up on the mountain and he is so frustrated, he doesn't even want to be around the Israelites. And God is going to demonstrate to him the proper attitude to have when dealing with people who are living contrary to God's ways. And Moses, in his frustration, he goes, God, I just want to see you. I just want to see your glory. Can you just show me your glory? And so God hides him in the cleft of the rock and he passes by him. And this is what he says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, those are almost the exact same words that Jonah says, aren't they? In other words, Jonah knew exactly what kind of God the Lord is, and he didn't like it. He said, God, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh, because I knew that this is who you are. I knew you would forgive them. I knew you would have mercy upon them. I knew you would have compassion towards them, and God, I did not want that. I didn't want you to do that, God. You may be able to overlook their sins and their transgressions and turn the other cheek, but I'm not you. That's the problem for Jonah, isn't it? He's not God. It's also the problem for us too, isn't it? When we are encountering people who are going against the Bible and living in sin and turning their backs on God, isn't it pretty difficult for us to imitate God and have that same mercy and compassion and patience and understanding with them? That's our problem is that we're not like him. And it's a lot harder to have that compassion on people when you forget what's ultimately at stake here. Because don't don't forget what's at stake. There are souls on the line here. There are literal lost souls on the line. Every single person is going to stand before God one day and he's either going to welcome you into eternal glory where you will get to be with him forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Looking forward to that. Or else he'll send you off into eternal punishment and condemn you to hell. There are souls on the line, and Jonah has allowed his disdain for the Ninevites to supersede his desire for their salvation. And that's dangerous, isn't it? He hates them so much that he says here he would literally rather die than see the Ninevites experience the Lord's mercy and salvation. He's angered to the point of death, and it's not even about the right things, is it? He should be upset about his own disobedience. He should be upset about the fact that the Ninevites have had to go this long without receiving the word of the Lord. He should be upset that no other Israelites are going to the nations to tell them about the wondrous deeds of the Lord. But instead, this prophet of God is upset that the Lord God has had mercy upon lost souls and forgiven those who repented. We need to pay attention to hear, church, about what Jonah's doing His priorities are all out of line here. And when our priorities aren't in order, we'll be upset by the wrong things. That's what you see going on here in Jonah. He's all upset about God having mercy on the Ninevites. And that's the wrong thing to be upset at. And the reason he's upset about that is because his priorities aren't in order. And this happens all the time in church, doesn't it? There was a preacher who was actually speaking at a conference. This was years ago now. 
But he was speaking at a conference in a city that was plagued by poverty and starvation. And at one point in his speech, he said this, The church is supposed to care for the needs of the world, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But here we are in a city where there are 30,000 starving children, and the church doesn't give a blankety-blank. You got the first part of the reaction, right? Yep. There was silence, and he just let there be silence. He heard people audibly gasp, and then they started to talk about him, and he could hear it from the stage. I can't believe he would say that. He's supposed to be a preacher. Does he know this is a a conference for good Christian people? What's he doing saying that? And they just start murmuring and grumbling. And after a moment, he spoke again, and he said, and what's worse is y'all are more upset about the fact that I just said blankety-blank than you are about the starving children. How often are we like Jonah and the people at that conference? I hope this doesn't step on any toes, but I'm convinced that nobody knows how to get worked up about all the wrong things like church people. There would have been an amen, but it hits too close to home for that, I understand. Nobody knows how to get worked up about things that don't really matter like church people. You want to change the carpet color? (gasps) You can't do that. This has been the carpet color. You want to change the paint color? No, says I. We can't do that either. I mean, we'll get upset about paint color, carpet color. If we change the order of service, we'll get emails about that. I mean, the people get upset about type of songs that are singing, the way people are dressed. We get upset about all sorts of stuff in church. There have even been some churches where people will come, visitors will come, and they're not Christians. They don't know the Lord. And they look rough. They're not dressed really, you know, appropriately for what you would consider church clothing. And I kid you not, the church people get more upset about the way they look rather than praising the Lord that a lost soul has come into a church building and has the opportunity to hear the life-saving message of the gospel. I mean, you want to talk about having your priorities out of order. I hope that never happens here where we look down on someone who shows up in blue jeans and a tattered shirt rather than praising God that someone has the opportunity to hear the word of God. Now, I'll say this too. I know this would never happen here. I'm going to preface it. I know it would never happen here, but I've heard at other churches, not here, other churches, that's, there are times when people may pay more attention to what the pastor is wearing than what he's preaching. Again, I know it would never happen here. But, and y'all wonder why I wore short sleeves today. But I have heard that there are churches where people pay more attention to what the pastor is wearing than what he's preaching. Where are our priorities, church? Are we actually caring about the things that matter? Are we getting ourselves worked up about a bunch of stuff that just does not matter at the end of the day? We're wasting our energy. I mean, I'm reminded of what Jesus said to Martha where he said, Martha, Martha, you're upset and angered about many things, but one thing is necessary. And church, I want to remind you this morning not to get upset and worked up about a bunch of stuff that doesn't actually matter when one thing is necessary. And that's making sure that this lost and dying world has the opportunity to hear the life-saving, life-giving message of the gospel. 
That's the one thing that matters. It's pointing people to Jesus. Doesn't matter if I wear a tie or short sleeves. Doesn't matter if the carpet's blue or if it's green. Doesn't matter if we start off with a prayer or a sermon or a song. Those things don't matter. Let's stop getting upset about them and let's focus on preaching Jesus. Amen? All right, one final thing, then we'll get out of here. All right, look at verses 5 to 11 with me. The Bible says, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Now, someone paying attention, wants to submit a podcast question asking what's significant about Jonah sitting on a booth on a mountain. I know y'all heard it. Someone submit the question. Okay. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He wants to watch the city burn. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Notice how he answers like a child here. Yes, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Now we learn a lot about Jonah's heart here in these verses, don't we? You see, uh, Jonah is a man of extremes and I have unfortunately been called that as well. My buddy Dalton pointed that out about me. He said I was a man of extremes. My wife betrayed me and agreed with him, and so did Joseph. He, he betrayed me as well. So, but I've forgiven them. We're having mercy and compassion on people. So, For Jonah, everything is either as good as it could possibly be, or it's as bad as it can possibly be, and there's no in-between. I do relate to him. So Jonah, notice this, he gets exceedingly angry about what? about God having compassion on Nineveh. But then he's exceedingly happy about what, church? A plant. (laughs) The worst thing in the world has happened. God has had mercy on people I don't like. The best thing in the world has happened. I've got a plant. And it's meant to be funny. It's, it's, It's meant to be funny. Because Jonah's sitting there and he's hot. He's miserable. The sun's shining on him. There's a scorchiness wind. And so God has mercy on him. He gives him this plant, and this plant grows up. It gives Jonah shade, and Jonah loves his plant. But then a worm comes and attacks it. The plant withers, and then Jonah's there, and he's miserable again, and he is angry enough to die. He's missing his plant. He's mourning the death of his plant. And I don't want you to miss this here, church. This plant comes up in a night, and it goes away in a night, And Jonah is so heartbroken over the loss of his plant that he wants to die. When it was going to be 120,000 actual people who were going to suffer the wrath of God and die, Jonah was smiling from ear to ear. Let me see it. I want a front row seat. When it's his plant, he cannot bear to live without that plant. Do you see the problem here? (laughs) I mean, do you see what Jonah's heart is like in this moment. And God is teaching Jonah an important lesson here. He's saying, Jonah, listen to me. I had mercy upon you when you disobeyed me. I had mercy upon you 
In the belly of the fish, I had mercy upon you. When you were hot, I gave you that plant. And then the plant withered, and you pitied it. Should not I also have mercy upon a city of 120,000 lost souls? So, So don't miss it. Jonah loved the Lord's mercy as long as he was the one receiving it. It's the old grace for me, but not for thee, that's rooted its way into Jonah's heart. He loved the Lord's mercy as long as he was the one receiving it. But when he showed that same mercy to other people that Jonah didn't like, Jonah was angry enough to die. And this is dangerous, church. If we get to this point, we're not going to have compassion on people. When we don't desire for others what God has done for us, we have strayed from the gospel. When we don't desire for others what God has done for us, we have strayed from the gospel. You see, the the Christians who are the most loving and the most forgiving and understanding and compassionate and tender-hearted are the ones who are constantly amazed at God's love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion towards them. They're the ones who say, I have no idea why God would love me. I have no idea why God would save me. I cannot believe He is still bearing with me and being patient towards me. I can't believe He has forgiven me time and time and time again. I can't believe I am still allowed to have breath on this planet, and yet God continues to give it to me. I will never understand it, but praise the Lord that He has shown me these things. And because they're amazed at what they've received from God, they give it to other people. It says, the Bible says in Luke 7, 47, he who is forgiven little loves little. Which means, in other words, if you are failing to forgive others, then church, listen to me here. You have forgotten how much God has forgiven you in Christ. If you are failing to love others, you have forgotten how much God has loved you. In Christ, If you are failing to be understanding and have compassion on others, even people you do not like, you have strayed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what happened. All these little things, they'll pile up and they will contribute to us not having compassion on other people. But ultimately, there's one big cause. One big thing that's the reason that we don't have compassion on other people. And you see it perfectly on display in Jonah's story. Because the story of Jonah goes a little something like this. God loved the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites. God wanted the Ninevites to be saved. Jonah wanted to watch the Ninevites burn. God had mercy on them, but Jonah harbored bitterness towards them. At every single stage of this story, God's heart and Jonah's heart are not in line, are they? And that's the whole point of this. We will only have compassion on others when our hearts are in line with God's own heart. We will only have compassion on others when our hearts are in line with God's own heart. You see, God asked Jonah an important question here. He says, should not I pity Nineveh? Now here's what I want you to do this morning, if you'll indulge me for a moment. I want you to remove the word Nineveh and I want you to replace it with whoever your Nineveh is. Whoever it is that you do not like. Whoever it is that you're holding a grudge against. 
Whoever it is you're harboring bitter feelings towards, whoever it is that has hurt you, who makes you uncomfortable, remove the word Nineveh and put in your Nineveh. I mean, it could be a lot of people. Should not I also pity that family member who hurt me? Should not I pity the Democrats, the Republicans, foreigners, that church member who said something who hurt my feelings? People of different races, people in different communities than mine. Who is your Nineveh this morning, church? And God says, should not I also have mercy upon them? Who are the people that you don't like and you don't want God to have mercy on? If you have a Nineveh this morning, unfortunately, it means that your heart has gotten a little out of line with God's own heart. But there's, there's hope for you. Because here are the two best things you can do to realign your heart with God's heart. First and foremost, you've got to repent. Repent of your bitterness. Repent of your anger, of your prejudice, of your pride, of your resentment. Repent of that grudge that you're holding and, and find freedom to let it go. You need to repent of these things and lay them at the feet of Jesus and ask him to soften your heart and then ask Jesus to help you view others the way he views others. Ask him to help you see with his eyes. So you have to repent first and foremost. But secondly, you have to remember. That's the best thing you can do. Repent and remember. Remember how God loved you when you were at your most unlovable. Remember how he accepted you when you were totally unacceptable before him. Remember how he was merciful towards you when you deserved nothing but his wrath. Remember how he was gracious towards you when he owed you nothing. Remember how he forgave you when you did not deserve his forgiveness. Remember how he saved you and gave you life when you deserved death. You remember those things and you will begin to freely give those things to others. That's what we have to do to realign our hearts with God's heart. We have to repent and we have to remember. Church, this morning there might be a lot of people that we don't like, but we need to remember that God loves people that we don't like. And we need to ask God to help us begin to love them as he loves them. We need to never forget what we have received from the Lord and never fail to give to others what God has freely given to us in Christ. Look to Jesus and ask him to soften your heart. Amen? Let's pray.